move to his left on his back foot into the end zone. Touchdown, Tiger Cats. Popped up and it's intercepted by the Bombers. How many times has happened? Thompson laterals it, and they're on the run. Four receivers to his right. That's where he'll look. Pressure on and lost. Open down the field. Keon Hatcher. Countdown on. 30, 20, 10. Touchdown, Lions. Laros forced to scramble. And he's going to gun it for an open show at the 40, 35, 30, 25. Can he get around corner 20? Dalton Schoen is going to score. Oh, my goodness. Hello and welcome, everybody. It is the breakdown right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh. Derek Taylor at DT on OB. That's right. We have a new intro and it's very egotistical because it's just (laughs) us. It's us for a full minute and a half giving Uh, you 2022 CFL touchdown highlights. I love Matty Dunnigan popping in on that third one of yours. I hear Dunnigan. When, When it's so exciting that the color guy can't contain himself. Love it. Yeah. You know it's good when. I have done again this weekend. I have done again next weekend. And then it's just Dwayne Ford and I from there on out. I checked the schedule the other day because I was wondering who I was working with. So I'm very excited to be doing games with Dunnigan for the next couple of weeks. And then, uh, unfortunately, I'm done working with him. But fortunately, I get to work with Dane for the rest of the year. So really no complaints on either side of that. But yeah, Dunnigan popping in on that. There was another one. I think it was Hamilton, Toronto, when Tim White caught that badly underthrown ball by Matthew Schultz that happened to turn into a touchdown because Amos just had no idea where the ball was right. in, in week 10. And yeah, I heard Dunnigan like jump all over the top of Rod Smith on that one, just like laughing because he couldn't believe it had become a touchdown. I'm like, man, that that's his trademark at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. You, you love it. You, there are, you hear sometimes color guys that force that kind of stuff. Like I want to be in this, but Dunnigan is just all natural. Yeah. It's all real. And it's just, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. I agree. Uh, As always, we are brought to you by our good friends over at Fox 40. Start your season off right with products from our partners at Fox 40. Outfit your coaching staff, custom logoed whistles, gear, coaching boards, and much more. Visit fox40shop.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout. 15% off of your entire order. I uh, took in a couple of days of McMaster football training camp because I have my son Noah. And so we decided to hop in the wagon and wander down there and go see what was happening at camp, which was kind of fun. And then today, as we're recording this on Friday, ahead of kickoff of week number 11 in the CFL, uh, it is week 11, right? That we're heading into? Correct. Yes? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've lost track. I can't imagine how you have because you're finally on a bye week, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, went and saw McMaster scrimmaging against Laurie, which was great to see. There's um, some pro prospects, obviously, on both of those rosters. Anytime that you have some, uh, some top-end OUA talent, you're going to end up seeing some big bodies and guys that are moving well. Uh, and Jacob Zott, who was recently released by the Ottawa Red Blacks this past week, kind of like a depth national offensive lineman. I have, I've called so many games in Ottawa this year, DT, that I have seen him in the tunnel after every game because he's been practice roster or he's been, you know, I don't even know if he's dressed for a game, but if he has, it was like as a depth guy or maybe he was a late scratcher. And I, I've seen him once every couple of weeks since June. And then this time I walked up to practice and he was just wearing street clothes. And I saw him at the Mac practice field because he's a McMaster <laughs> guy. And I was like, well... I'm sad to see you here, but it's still nice to see you. And he's like, I'm just going to work out and hang around the team unless somebody calls. He's like, I I live down the street. I might as well have a gym, stay in shape, hang out and wait until there's somebody who rolls an ankle on a no line. They need a Canadian, right? Yeah, that's that's the life for guys right now, right? Um, Raheem Wilson, trim. What was it? Trim back by uh, by Calgary, right? Mm -hmm. Montreal scoops him up. 
just be ready. Just be ready. You never know when your shot's going to come, and you never know. So Th- That felt yeah, like Bob smart. Slowick retaliation to me. That's what that was. Like <laughs> Bob Slowick was the defensive coordinator in Montreal, I think, for a single year. He goes on to be like defensive backs coach or like defensive assistant in Calgary. Every time I see the Calgary sideline, I'm just like, that guy was, I actually really liked his defense. And now he's just yeah. like hanging out in Calgary because it was just like a nice depth coaching addition to them. And so I saw the switch of Wilson getting swapped. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that was them being like, well, if, if Slowick kind of liked them and we liked Slowick when he was here, maybe let's go get that guy. Oh, Slowick liked to get after you, right? He loved bringing yeah. the blitz. He like Noel Thorpe is currently the blitzer in the Canadian Football League. Bob Slowick loved it, and I enjoyed every bit of that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I enjoyed that whole thing. Uh, you, as I said off the top, are finally on a bye week here after the Bombers just a ridiculous run off the start of the season where the, the Argos are like, should we play week one? No. Should we play week three? <laughs> no. And they're just like, like I was talking to Ryan Dinwiddie ahead of calling the Calgary Toronto game. And I said, Hey man, sorry. I haven't uh, been able to catch up with you at all this year. The season's already half done. I haven't called any Argos games, but uh, you guys haven't played any games. So I haven't had a chance to be able to do any of them because they don't exist. Exactly. Uh, and for you, it's been a hell of a run with all things Winnipeg, of course, culminating right before the bye week in uh, the Thursday night loss against Montreal, which we'll get to in a second. But what the hell are you doing with your bye week? Because this must feel so foreign to you after moving from Regina and going yeah. to Winnipeg and dealing with the housing and starting the season and on and on and on. And, on. and now it's just like, whoa, bye week. Yeah, it's, it's needed catch up time, right? Like, uh, you know, you move into a house in July, you know, fat part of the season. Oh, we're moving to the house. You end up doing that stuff. Uh, I was out uh, out back uh, taking care of some yard work when some wasps decided that they own the backyard and not me and though i outweigh a wasp by roughly 245 pounds when you get like six or seven of them they win right like you can't beat seven wasps so i got stung roughly five times ran away screaming fell down some stairs because i was running away screaming i think the i think the bruise on my arm is is no yeah that's from falling down the stairs running away from the wasp much less scratches but honestly like i was i I've been behind in my charting, right? So I was I ground through three games yesterday. I woke up, banged off a game, went to the mall, grabbed a bite to eat, came back, banged off a game. When my wife went to bed, banged off another game, then ran through every running play in week week 10 of the Canadian Football League because I'm still six or seven games behind. So yep. hopefully by my next call next Thursday, I'll be caught up and I can go, well, this is why Calgary is having such success in the run game with Kadeem Carey because – they're giving them three yards plus before contact. What do you? What else is going to happen? And that's why uh, Mills looks the same, and why Peyton Logan looks the same. It's isn't it strange how Marsh when when teams put in different running backs than their star running backs, they run just as well as the star did. Isn't that weird how that works? Uh, yeah, yeah, very strange, very strange. Uh, <laughs> so, I would agree. so strange. Jeshur Nandwi runs like runs like William Standback, oh, and, and so does Feaster. Uh, uh, guys, Fletcher and Tavian Feaster. Thank you. That's yeah. the name. Everybody runs well in Montreal. Weird how that works. Uh, Strange. So two thoughts on that. One is that um, it hurts my heart when I was going through my tracking because I was doing a thing on quarterback running game earlier today. So I'm sorting through and eliminating things that are like running back runs and called passing plays and quarterback scrambles and quarterback sneaks. I was just looking for called quarterback runs. And uh, as I was peeling through that, I came upon the name William Standback. Three carries. I was like, man, yep. that, that just makes me sick to my stomach. They're one of the best guys. And I saw you tweet this week, like when Andrew Harris goes down now with the pec injury, it's like, 
those are the two best running backs in the league. Like Kadeem Carey, certainly in the conversation. Jamal Morrow, probably more than anything else, a product of his environment there in Saskatchewan and the fact that Moss has really wanted to pound it for a big chunk of the year. Uh, Brady Oliveira coming into his own, certainly in Winnipeg. You have some great stats and background on that, that he's really picked it up. And Winnipeg up front has really done a better job. But in terms of name brand notoriety, like Standback and Harris are the guys. And when I look at Harris being done for the year and Standback missing the majority of the year, it's like, whoa, man, the door is wide, wide, wide open for Kadeem Carey to just run away with the 2022 running back all-star spot. Except he's been out for a couple of games, right? Yeah. And you go, they keep That's one true. gaming him, which makes you believe it isn't so serious. But, I mean, you're going to end up with, if Saskatchewan, just on the who's going to win the rushing title, if Saskatchewan has some tougher opponents coming up, they have three games against the Bombers, they play Calgary, you're not going to run as much in games where you're not winning. That's just how it works out. Teams that teams that win games run the football more because they get the fourth quarter to run the football. Mm-hmm. Brady Oliveira, like we're in we're in the week ten bye. Brady Oliveira could win the rushing title, wow. right? If the if the well, depending on what games they give they get off. If the schedule goes right and they're somehow fourteen and two and they've clinched, okay, well Oliveira's probably getting some time off. But I mean the way that offense is picked up and the way they're able to run the ball. And again, in the fourth quarter, when you're winning, you run the football. If you're winning games, you will rush for more. And I mean, who are the contenders to, to, uh, to take the rushing title? It's, it's probably carry if he's back soon, probably moral, but Brady Oliveira, who was nowhere after week number six could, as I thought in the beginning of the season, could take the rushing title just because he's the guy in the Winnipeg offense. Could AJ Ouellette come from behind and be a dark horse? <laughs> we discuss next. He's, well, they've only played like three games, right? Yeah, so he must exactly. have 15 games left in the Argos, right? <laughs> uh, five, he, five here's a fun tidbit for you that I will uh, completely steal from the TSN broadcast because I'm sure it's going to make its way in, probably as a Matthew Shinetti sideline hit. We'll see where it lands in the broadcast, but I asked AJ Ouellette when we were talking to him 48 hours before kickoff, uh, which is Saturday at 7 p.m. at BMO, what his timeline was with Nathan Rourke. I'm like, I know you were around, but what was the interaction and, and how were you kind of first made aware of who this kid was or what he could become? Or I just wanted to get kind of his raw sense of Nathan Rourke in the early days at Ohio. And I've talked to Rourke. I've interviewed him a couple of different times. So I know that he only had two offers when he came out from JUCO in the, in the Jayhawk Kansas uh, conference. And it was Akron and Ohio. So I'm thinking, okay, I wonder what his recruiting trip was like. And AJ goes, I hosted him on his recruiting trip to Ohio. No. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that usually means that you like go out and party way too hard and try to show them a good time to convince them that like, this is going to be the greatest time of your life. You got to come here, man. And as soon as AJ said, on the zoom call. Uh, yeah, I hosted Nathan work on his recruiting trip. Dunnigan's like, huh? Huh? And I was like, Dunnigan, I don't think that this was the same recruiting trips that you're used to. I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure this was probably more laid back. And AJ goes, Oh dude, the first thing he asked me for was, can I see the rec center? Like, can I see where you guys work out? And then AJ's like, and I, I think we went out to dinner. And then he said that he had like an exam in two days at his Juco school that he really needed to do well on. So he just like wanted to know where the library was on his recruiting trip. So I just like dropped him off at the library on a Friday night. And then I think he came back at like midnight and then he was gone at like 8 a.m. the next day. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so Nathan Rourke went on a recruiting trip to Ohio 
wanted to see where the facility was and then got dropped off at the library despite the fact he wasn't a student yet at Ohio. I'm like, that checks out. That seems like that's the yeah. same guy that we're watching right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that feels right. That feels right. He, uh, uh, as, I, as I'm crushing through all these games, I've probably gone through eight or nine games like play-by-play this week. Um, Rourke just stands above all the rest yep. with, with how it with I mean, he's completing 80% of his passes, which is ridiculous. And it, 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 people might say, well, he's throwing short passes. Sure, he is, but he's he's got to be seven or eight points above his expected completion percentage. Like, it's 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 still nuts what he's doing. Yeah. I wondered if it would last two weeks. It's been 10 weeks. It's still – it's it's nuts. Like, it's, it's Rourke and Kalaros. And then uh, I honestly, for all the flat Cody Fajardo's taking uh, – He's he's about what I expected, honestly. He that line is just repeatedly getting gooned, and it oh, took them. God. It took them till honestly. I don't know Natai Rogers. He may be a good dude. Um, Not from what he, I've heard from his time at Ottawa. Oh really? Okay. I don't I don't know anything about him. He he struggled so much in pass block that Fajardo was under pressure in like a second and a half, and there's just there's nothing a quarterback can possibly do about that. So. If I'm a Riders fan, I'm not I'm not throwing Cody out with the bathwater no. because if they just fix if Jamal Campbell can fix one thing on that right side and they figure out and if Dan Clark comes back, uh, I can't assess Logan Bandy's performance in the middle on uh, fairly, but um, if they could fix that, Cody's going to have some more time. He's just under pressure so fast that I don't know how you could possibly expect any success. But uh, yeah, Rourke, I mean. Rourke is the week eleven, week ten MOP. Like it's and it's just not really that close, honestly. Yeah, I agree. He what he did in Calgary was just so special. Oh. And so it was it was spectacular to be able to watch. I was kind of joking on Twitter that I was kind of pissed I had to watch two games last week before I got to his because all I wanted to do was get to his and just <laughs> just sit there with my like hand under my chin, being like, "Wow, he's really good, eh? Like this is fun." <laughs> so I I was kind of. Uh, you know, starstruck, I would say, just watching some of the decisions and, and the confidence in the pocket and all the rest. But on on the note of Saskatchewan, I I have been saying for about a month at this point that they are just they're basically since touchdown Atlantic, like when it was the Marino stuff, and then it was touchdown Atlantic, and then they came home and they just didn't do enough against the Argos and Penny Lorray gets the late special teams touchdown in the fourth and they close it out in a COVID affected game and it's just a weird. It's a weird group. It's a weird team. Like I have a yeah. hard, I have a hard time figuring them out. But I just don't have confidence that they're. And it's weird in a in a Grey Cup year where usually you load up, especially in Saskatchewan, to try and like go and get it and, and accomplish the goal and be crown champions at home and all these iconic things that you want to create. That the start of the year, I was watching them and I was like, okay, I'll give this time because I don't really want to criticize it and I don't really know what I'm watching yet. And then you see how it goes on. And I was looking at some of the numbers that I deemed to be kind of like, how sustainable is this? And specifically in the running game. And I was just like, they're just kind of like hammering their heads into a wall consistently and hoping that it proves out in the fourth quarter that they have the lead and they can continue to hold it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I, there were some things early in the season that were kind of red flags for me. And then they went through the Marino stuff and they went through Duke Williams throwing the helmet. And then I started seeing some of the comments from Craig Dickinson that I just didn't love on whether it was defending Marino or whether there was conversations I had with some people around the league about like, you know, if this continues to go this way, Craig might be on the hot seat kind of thing out there. And, and I was, the more I've looked at it, Cody struggling with the deep ball 
not as badly. I haven't actually crunched the numbers, but every week, even if it's a completion, the process to get to where he does with the deep ball is just, it's frustrating to me. And to your point, he doesn't have a lot of time. But yeah. then this week, something that jumped out to me where, again, I was just like, this is such a weird team, is they were on several running plays this past week, essentially making their left tackle, uh, who I don't even know who it was. I, I Probably Taron Vaughn this week. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if or because Andrew Lauderdale, I think, is coming up for this week. But so they were. Go ahead, were, I'll find it. Yeah, yeah. So they were popping either their left guard or their left tackle backwards off the line of scrimmage and running. Remember when Le'Veon Bell was with the Pittsburgh Steelers and they used to run that super patient, like inside zone where he would basically just get the ball and hide behind a wall of guys and hop, hop, hop and hope for a hole to open up and then dart and try and beat the linebackers to the spot. Awesome. Yeah. They were trying to do some of that stuff, it seemed like, with their blocking scheme. And I read the quotes from Craig Dickinson that were like, you know, we're going to shuffle the offensive line and we're going to make some changes here and there. And it's like, yeah, Nate Rogers, I, when I watched a clip of him against Boom Guacham the last oh time, my gosh. He, he, just oh. opened, he just opened the door completely as the right tackle and Boom just ran inside and rolled up yeah. on Cody's legs, which were already injured. And that's the other thing, like Cody's injury with the knee uh, just like super strange to me that he's like, I've got all my explosion back. So you always see these quotes come out, right? From interviews. He's like, I've got all my explosion back. And I'm like, but you, he's, he's better. Don't get me wrong. He looks better than he was. He doesn't look as frail. And he's like, when he was in Montreal, he was a complete shell of himself. He looks better, but he doesn't look like 2019 for Jaro. And he doesn't look like 2021 for Jaro. He's not running away from people with speed, running through the open field, juking people with confidence. Like it's not the same guy. So for him to come out and say, I've got the explosion in my lower body back. I was like, I don't know why he's putting that pressure on himself because he's basically getting rid of all the excuses. He's saying like, I have everything back that I need to, to be super successful. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, like now if you don't have success and you don't look like yourself, then what's the conversation? Oh, I'm hurt again. Or the injury came <laughs> back or flared up. So I don't, I've had a hard time getting a read on them, but it it's just felt like uh, a group and a, a trend of play of style and quarterback play combined with uh, receivers acting out with bad process a lot of the time getting through reads to get the guys deep and stuff that I'm just like, Oof, man, I honestly, it's I would love to call some Riders games. I don't have any of them on my schedule this year, but watching them play against Edmonton was just two teams trying to punch each other in the face and prove that they were tougher than each other, which wasn't entertaining and wasn't productive. Uh, and it just felt like an ego match between Chris Jones, Stephen McAdoo, Craig Dickinson, and Jason Moss. So, yeah, uh, Fajardo thirteen design carries this season through nine games. That's not enough. I mean, and that's probably that's indicative, I think, of a guy who's got injury problems. Yeah, uh, just not. And I think it's thirteen for seventy-one yards. Like that's not Fajardo. This is a guy who can who can convert second and nineteen with his legs, right? And Rider fans have seen it uh, on the deep ball this season with one game pending. 86 passer rating okay so infinitely better than last year yeah. but not as good as 2019 because the deep ball fluctuates very dramatically but it, the one thing that stands out is uh i he i don't know if you and i talked about this but he, he had a podcast with isaac harker his former backup quarterback right and they did it during the pandemic year as well and cody would joke oh isaac your arm's much bigger than mine which was funny because Isaac had to put every little bit of his energy to get the ball into the field side. Yep. You're like, okay, 
so I, I feel like Cody was just kind of, you know, uh, just knocking himself a little bit. Uh, but this year, that it kind of feels like that, which makes me go, is there something else in there? Or is the knee problem causing some some problems with getting the ball deep? Because it's it, they're underthrown. Like they're under they're underthrown or they're thrown late. And late it doesn't yeah. seem to make sense with he's about to get plowed by boom, watch him. It it just doesn't work. So ultimately I just come back to a hypothesis and you and I will have to when we have some time in a week leading up, dive into mm-hmm. are Cody and Jason Moss not a match? Oh, I I fully believe like that that's not a match at this point. I okay. yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Um and again, I don't have great reasoning numbers to to break it down right now but sometimes you just get a feel when you're watching a quarterback evolve through different systems and where he's happy and where he's successful and um, I did something on Sports Center last week where I talked about uh, Saskatchewan using the personnel grouping of three receivers two fullbacks and one running back they use it more than anybody else across the entire league like they they like James to go Tuck for the win yeah like or Tuck, Bruno LaBelle, Albert Awachi, yep. like they love to load it up, rotate through bodies, have them going in multiple different directions. But it's all, this is a lot of the Moss stuff, right? Is It's all window dressing. It's, you're running a basic concept, but it's heavy and there's bodies all over the place and they're in the box and they're out of the box and they're cutting down the backside. And it's, it's his style of running the football. And uh, I, like, I, I don't dislike what he does. I want to be very clear about that. Like, I, I it's not that I don't like, the way the riders play. I don't like the way that Moss calls games, but when you're watching them and you're trying to get a sense for how is Cody supposed to get into a rhythm here, or are they just trying to protect him with the running game? Like, I can't tell whether they're lowering his opportunities to make his own decisions because they don't trust him because he's not playing at a very high level right now, in my opinion, or is it that they just really love running the football because they think that's what they're best at? Cause I'm watching the way that their offensive line is getting blown up in pass protection and it gives you zero confidence that they should be calling passes all the time. So it's like, well, maybe that's why they're leaning on the running game. And then in the running game, it's like, well, they're not moving bodies in a dominant way. Yeah. So I don't, like, I don't really, I have a hard time identifying what they are about. And when it comes to Fajardo and Moss working together, there's been moments on the sideline late last year where there were the outbursts and the frustration and all the rest. And that gave us a little bit of insight into like, Cody didn't seem very happy last year and needed that playmaker. Well, now he's got Duke Williams and there's no excuses and it's still deeply underthrown stuff half the time. And it's just, I don't know, man, I, I really don't know what to make it. I don't. They, they always, they struck me in, well, all Craig Dickinson's time, he would say, we want to be a power running team and right. we want to be a power running team. And it didn't, as an outsider, I, I looked at it and went, well, in 2019, Cody Fajardo was ripping the league apart. Like, mm-hmm. Cody was fantastic in 19. So why would you want to do anything that's not that? Um, it, 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 I look at them now, and uh, running back carries, line yards, Calgary's by far the, the biggest. Then there's a group of Montreal, Ottawa, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, and Toronto, and Winnipeg that are all this far apart. They're all kind of the same. So they're... You know, their Calgary leads by a mile, and then they're kind of like everybody else. There's nothing particularly special about them except that uh, Jamal Morrow has broken a couple for huge gains, which brings up their yards per carry from running backs to a crazy degree, but doesn't reflect what they get on a carry in and carry out basis, right? right. So I get, I get where you're going for. I, I look at their receiving options, and I think Schaefer Baker, Schaefer Baker running out of the running back position this past week 
was yeah. a new wrinkle. Hey, well, he's got. That's uh, great. When I was looking at the run stuff that I mentioned earlier, I think he's got six carries on the year, and they're not all like those little jet pop passes. They're just lining him up in the backfield, and that is very, very much reminiscent to me of uh, Cordero Patterson. Like okay, that yeah. is, that's the same, and not the same body type necessarily, but kind of the CFL version of that body type is like kind of a long lanky receiver who's got those big strides that can beat people to the edge if you get the blocking in the right spot and when i saw him lining up there i was like mm, is this an anomaly it's like no they've done this i think six or seven times this year where they've just lined him up as a running back and handed it off to him um so i mean they've sprinkled it in yeah but but it's the thing about this Raiders offense is like it's predictably once a game you're going to get the schaefer baker jet that comes back into the boundary like you're going to get Duke Williams on the big post. You're going to get Duke isolated in a four by one situation, running the quick slant that Cody's just reading an RPO off the will linebacker. Like, you know, when you're watching it, it's like they're going to get two of those, three of these, one of them. And it's like, yeah. okay, but what, where are the places that you are finding the explosive plays that will win you the football game that will take over? Because in Edmonton, Saskatchewan didn't win that football game. Edmonton lost. There's a huge difference, right? And so, when I was talking to Dave Dickinson and Bo Levi Mitchell about this the other day uh, on our Zoom calls for the CFL and TSN, they were basically Dave was saying to beat the best teams, whether it be for Calgary, BC or Winnipeg at this point, he said, your quarterback has to make three or four spectacular plays in a game. Like in the CFL, your quarterback yeah, has like to that. make three or four of those. And, and he, he basically said, Nathan made those plays. That's why we lost to the BC Lions. He made throws that were spectacular in the moment when their team needed it, and that's why we got beat. Zach made those plays in the games against Calgary. He found a way to make those plays. He wasn't great the whole game, wasn't blowing them out of the water, but made three or four amazing plays where it's like, that's how you win the football game. And, and basically, Dickie was saying, I need that from Bo. Like, we got to be able to get that. Well, for me, if you know what you're going to get with the Riders' offense a lot of the time, where are they going to create the three or four great plays that are going to win them football games, especially with the stretch they have against BC and Winnipeg coming up here? Like, that's the thing. For I, me, I, if you're going to beat the best team, yeah. you better have some of those plays. I think they probably – I wonder how much is treading water until Shaq and Kyron Moore get in the that's lineup. Fair. Yeah. Like, Kyron Moore hasn't played this season. So, uh, one, props to the sports book who said is over under at 998 and a half yards because that'll cash. Um, Shaq Evans, I mean, uh, hurt himself very early in the season. If you're Shaq, Duke, Kyron Moore, I guess McKinnis and Kean Schaefer Baker, whoever your three is, McKinnis has done some stuff. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know necessarily he'd be able to do. But if if it's Shaq, Duke, Kyron, and Kean Schaefer Baker plus one, okay, that's that's all right. You you got to keep Fajardo from getting killed. And I don't know, yeah, I I so I hope that will I hope that will help them as they try to to get through this. Um, I I just think. Upgrading from the Ty Rogers to Jamal Campbell in every every season, right, Marsh? There's like ten or fifteen decisions that make us go, I don't understand why that's happening. Why is Caleb Evans starting on Friday when he was what he was last week, and Nick Arbuckle was, you know, threw some picks, but I mean, Nick Arbuckle is uh, better. Is, is better. But, why but, was that Ty but, Rogers starting over a six figure Jamal Campbell? Is something I still don't know what that was about. But go ahead. No, I I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just you piqued my interest in that one, which is um, why is Caleb Evans starting? And the only thing that I can come back to is didn't it feel like Ottawa was really reluctant to give Nick 
the opportunity to be the starter the first time around when they didn't even let him touch the field and they made the move for Nichols and they moved on and everybody was like, whoa, maybe Arbuckle isn't the player that we thought that he was when he left Calgary because Ottawa had him for a full year to learn the playbook and they seemed really reluctant and then they were very quick to go for a quarterback in Nichols who, as we all know, his noodle arm was dead at that point. But they wouldn't have seen him on the field, right? Because that was the pandemic year. There wouldn't have right. been a formal practice. But that's what I'm makes saying. Your is, question more interesting. Yeah, that's the, exactly it. Is that like they didn't even let him hit the practice field before they decide in the middle of the winter. Mm, you know what? We've seen what we've seen from you in terms of figuring this stuff out, and we actually want to go with Nichols. And then we saw what Nichols was, and it's like the hell. You you chose that over the opportunity or the potential of what Arbuckle could be. And now you've traded for him and full disclosure, like I've talked to Lapo so many times this year because I've had so many Red Blacks games to call. And he has made it very clear to me that until Caleb proves that he cannot spot the football or make the throws I need him to make, he will continue to be the quarterback. Well, it's pretty obvious in the Calgary game. He proved that he was not spotting the football or making the throws that Paul Apolice's offense needs to have success. So I left the stadium that night feeling upset on behalf of Caleb Evans because I thought that's it for his year because there's no way that they go back to him from this night and I felt bad for him because I like him I think he's a fun player I think he's got a good ceiling but you can't in this league with nine teams and how fast you can fall out of a playoff race and how much it means to be able to play home playoff games you cannot invest in a young quarterback because you can't let them go through the struggles and just develop so I was like well that's gonna be it they're gonna go to Arbuckle and then it was like Evans is taking some reps and I was like hmm it was like, oh no, Evans is playing. What? And that's where this becomes interesting is like if if they were really reluctant with even a different regime other than Lapo, like obviously when Desjardins was there instead of Sean Burke, if they were reluctant to let him play the mm. first time around, I feel like there's this weird deja vu again where it's like, why is this guy not garnering the trust from you in Ottawa like he didn't the first time, like he didn't in Toronto when they wanted to go with McLeod, when he didn't in Edmonton when they were trying to trade him the whole offseason? Like what is wrong? I, there, I, it's it's the mystery, right? It's it's one of the things that no one ever tells us of the media. Uh, but Arbuckle was fantastic. He was he was a Trevor Harris type quarterback when he was popped into that Calgary offense in nineteen, yeah. right? When when Bo got hurt, and he went, this works really well, surrounded with real nice talent. This works real well. Uh, there was not incredible talent in Edmonton. Two touchdowns and eight interceptions, and two picks in relief in the one game in Ottawa. So two and 10 in the season, but I, I'm not with Caleb Evans. I am with you on everything. I enjoy it. I enjoy watching him play because he's, he's potentially very exciting. Uh, and I'm not at the Dominic Davis point with them of, I need you to never play quarterback again. Right. But I just, although I, just I go, did see you tweeting during that Calgary Ottawa game where you're like, keep running right to the bench. It's time for Arbuckle. I think it was that game. It might have been a different game, but you were like, when he missed that throw over the middle and he ran through the bench and you just tweeted, keep running directly to the bench. It's time we need to see Nick Arbuckle. I was like, well, it seems, it seems like DT's kind of done with him at this point. Well, and it's not like I'm done for your career, but after right. last season, I went, I, I charted the game where he had seven interceptable passes in a uh, single game. And you went, okay, yikes. Just take a break, come back next year, see what's up. Right. I've seen enough this year that I go, how can Nick Arbuckle possibly be worse for what you have going on here? Right. You're honestly, you're going back to Williams at running back because of the injury to Powell. I like that. Your receiving core has been in flux. Um, but Jalen Acklin is a, I didn't know Jalen Acklin was this good. 
Honestly, I didn't know. Nate Bahar is, is I mean, getting seven, eight targets, five targets, six targets. Nate Bahar is doing his stuff. Uh, Tavon's uh, coming onto the roster this week as a, you know, as a backup. You go Shaq Johnson. They've got Canadians on that 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 receiving core. Um, I it, I don't know what you're going to do, but he, I don't look at Caleb Evans and go, this guy's going to change from one and us from one and seven because you're playing the worst team in the CFL in my mind. Mm-hmm. And if he wins, you're just going to play him some more. And I go, okay, that'll be good for Caleb Evans. If he beats, if his team beats Edmonton on Friday night or Saturday, whatever it is. But is that helping you get to first place that you're only three games back up? You're only three wins back in first place. Yeah. Like win, win, get to the playoffs. Two teams are going to the playoffs in this terrible division. Take one of them. Just take it. Just take it. And, and oh, by the way, uh, as I was watching Ottawa, I love this. Uh, and someone asked me to, to check it out. Um, Ottawa will do this thing. Mike Benavides, shout out to Mike, on defense where four-man front, yep. but only the ends will rush. Uh, and yeah. he'll, he'll drop the defensive tackles off like two yards. And he did it a few times. And I'm like, ooh, this is all right. And someone said, I don't remember too many two-man rushes. So I went back into my database and I went, Oh yeah, there have been twenty out of these twenty-five thousand plays. There have been literally twenty. And my and here's here's Benny. This two man rushes. I'm like, and and honestly, they were killing. They yeah, were they were getting pressure. Off. Well, and that's if you can get pressure with. I'm not. I'm no expert, but if you can get pressure <laughs> with two and you can drop ten, you're probably going to do pretty great things. They were concerned about whatever team it was. Concerned about the run game. Maybe it was. Oh, it was BC. It was Rourke. Oh, so you're concerned okay. about Rourke maybe killing you. But I mean. They were they were taking it to task. It was pretty great. I, I think they were just doing anything to throw a different look at him because that was week four after he had shredded Edmonton, had a bye week, shredded Toronto, and then gone on the road. And Benny's like, "The hell am I supposed to do?" Like this kid doesn't seem to be rattled by anything. He's like, uh, two man rush, drop ten. Sure, I don't know." Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, and it worked. And it worked. It just happens. You know, one out of every thousand plays in, the, in my wow. CFL charting history, but it worked well. That's very cool. I would be interested uh, to hear what downs and distances those two-man rushes in your database typically come on, uh, because you know, to me, that is typically going to be like second in a in a country mile. But I, I have a sense that maybe Benny might have thrown that in when it wasn't necessarily your typical second and and forever. Uh, when second you... and ten, they're all second downs. That's okay. a good call. Uh, all the two-man rushes have been. There was one from Saskatchewan this season. Uh, one, two, three were second and ten, second and twelve, five, seven, nine, and second and two. No so first downs. Second, uh, oh, sorry, Montreal ran, rushed two against them. Second two, zero first downs that they rushed right. two. Okay, makes sense. So I, but yeah, it's. I mean, when I saw it, I thought this. I've never. I don't know that I've ever seen this before. That's but cool. one, you're able to get pressure on the ends because it was one. On, they got one on one on those sides. And the three guys in the middle were just standing there, and then the defensive tackles are ready for any scramble action. Oh, okay. I could I could get behind a little of this. I just love anything new. Yeah, I'm with you. Stuff. I'm with you. That's that's cool. I'll leave you with my favorite number of the week as we wrap up here on the breakdown. In 2021, Matthew Schultz had five non-sneak called runs on 176 snaps taken. That means that they were calling quarterback run for Matthew Schultz in Montreal. of the plays that he was in for in 2021 in Montreal, 2022 in Hamilton, 20 non-sneak called runs on just 92 snaps. That means that Hamilton 
when Matthew Schultz is in the game, is calling quarterback run 21.7% of the time. Almost a quarter of the time he's in the game, they are asking for him to run. And Matthew Schultz accounts for over 20% of all called quarterback runs across the entire CFL in 2022. If you would have told me at the start of the year that Schultz was going to become this like called quarterback run dynamo, I would have told you you had no idea what you were talking about and you would be laughing in my face right now. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then they pepper in the throwback to Dane Evans along the way, too. Uh, yeah. yeah. We love Schultz, it. I, I love any team that will take its second quarterback and actually use that guy. You're, you're getting value that other teams are just willfully ignoring, right? So yeah. I love it. If he's your sneak guy, if he's your design run guy, I love it. That's value you can get from a roster spot. That's going to be it for the breakdown for us. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. As always, I will be calling Calgary Toronto. DT will be calling nothing because he finally has a bye week.